Thank you for tuning in to Humble Hermeneutic, a Jew 3 Project podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the Jew 3 Project and is made possible by generous supporters like you. If you would like to become a monthly supporter of the Jew 3 Project or give a one-time gift, you can do so at Jew3Project.org. Or you can take our online courses or get our curriculum at Jew3Project.org as well. And we also have merch available. I hope you enjoy this episode with Yana Connor and Dr. Cynthia James. And I hope that you develop a humble hermeneutic. Well, friends, we're back and with another, does that sound like uh, it's pretty trite, another exciting chapter, Adventure in Jonah, but it is just that exciting. And we want to look at chapters three and four, and I'm delighted to be with this Bible scholar and friend. I know you wouldn't want that, but uh, just so deserved, Miss Yana Connor. In chapter three, we see the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. So this is about second chances. But in reality, this is probably more than a second chance. Like most of us, you know, we, we, we've stopped counting a long time ago. And the word comes to him because he's been repentant in chapter two. And now he's willing after hitting rock bottom. Who, who doesn't hit a wall and willing to turn around? Because that's the only way you can go. And he goes to Nineveh, the place that God is sending him. And he goes there and it's a long walk. And I'm, I'm well, I, let me not dissect it. Let me just note that and leave that along. So, um. He has a long way to go into the city. He cries out, uh, and I want to get this right. In 40 days' time, he gives a word to Nineveh. He tells them that uh, they're going to suffer for their distance and their disobedience from the Lord if they don't do what's supposed to do, what they're supposed to do. And we'll talk about what that is. And we'll talk about what the city's response is. And on top of that, we will talk about how God responds to their response in chapter three. Are you ready? Miss Yana. I'm ready. <laughs> I am ready. Um, I know that we ended our last our last conversation with this sort of question, like, does there have to be this congruence? I love that word that you use, congruence between the messenger and the message. Does the, the messenger need to embody the message um, in order for the message to be effective? And I think what we find, am I summarizing that question right? Dr. Cynthia? Yes, yes, yes. You're, you're on. Yeah. And I think what we find in uh, chapter three and four is like the answer is no, right? <laughs> the, the, the answer is no, uh, because he goes to Nineveh, he preaches to Nineveh, and immediately they respond to the word of the Lord. It says that. Uh, after Jonah said that in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished, then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth um, from the greatest to the least. And it says that when the, the word reached the king, he got up from his throne, <laughs> got up from his throne, uh, took off his royal robe and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes um, and, and then issued a decree that no person or animal like mm. should eat any sort of food um, because he says, who knows? God may turn and relent. I love that when he well, says, you who knows? It. You hit it. You hit it hard again. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. And then it says that God saw their, their, their actions. Uh, and they had turned from their evil ways. 
And so because of that, God relented from the disaster that he had threatened upon them. I mean, you think about it. Here, you know, we see this parallelism, this comparing and contrasting. The word came to Jonah. And what did Jonah do? Jonah went in a different, different direction. He had to be brought all the way back, <laughs> you know, um, to doing the Lord's will. But instead, Nineveh immediately responds to the word of the Lord and puts on sackcloth and ashes. I love it when it says that the king got up from his throne and he took yes. off his robe like yes. he was shedding himself of all of his pride. He's recognizing that the Lord is in control and that he has he has greatly sinned against him and that if he does not repent, that God is God is going to make good on his word, you know, and in 40 days, Nineveh will completely perish. But there's this there's this uncertainty right in him about, well, you know, <laughs> who knows <laughs> uh, if, if we do these things, maybe God will turn, you know, uh, and relent. And so I just love this this picture of repentance and humility that we see from the people of Nineveh. And then also um, from from their king, um, yeah. What 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 sticks out to you here, uh, Dr. Cynthia? Well, I, I respond to you as much as the text because I love the way uh, you're opening the word. Uh, with that original question from last time, um, mm. I was thinking that it certainly helps when we left our last session if the if the vessel is at least suitable. Um, mm -hmm can't ever overpower the word. The word can do its work because God sends his word, but ideally through a submitted vessel. But then I thought about, as you were talking, yes, there's that desire for compatibility between the message and the messenger. But what I really was hearing as you spoke was the necessity of the messenger, the Jonah for us to see ourselves in relation to the people. Because the word will always be bigger than us. It will always be right, a right word. I will never really measure 100% up, even though I need to strive and seek to grow and mature in the word of God. But because Jesus was the word made flesh, I know that's a level of perfection that I'm always reaching for. But if we can see ourselves in some ways, not lost, but see a compatibility and a congruity and a a similarity with I once was lost, like mm -hmm. Nineveh is lost, but now I'm found. If we can identify with the hearer, um, as well as hopefully presenting a clean channel for the word, then I think it says something about God's mercy and that we can be merciful. If we can't be perfect, we can still be merciful. If we can't be perfect, we can still be compassionate. And so I, I heard and I was taking note as you were saying, the messenger and the, the communicator, or what, what is the communication language? Whoever the receiver is, uh, there needs to be some compatibility there to see ourselves and see our need, maybe not in the same way, but they have a need as I had a need and that I continue to need God's word. Mm -hmm. yeah. thing, um, you were talking about the king. That, that is so beautiful. Um, the heathen king that gets up, the world that will repent while the, mm. the body of Christ remains haughty and self-satisfied. And I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just throwing that out as a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, but 
uh, that how who knows was when you you opened the doors of the church right there. Who knows? And and not uh, it, it says how far is how far is too far? Mm. Uh, who has gone too far that the love of God can't reach? Who mm -hmm. is too deep in sin that the net of God can't and capture? So it it eliminates the adversary's argument for throwing our hands up for forgiving uh for giving up on people. It eliminates the option of suicide because I can't say it's over. I can't say what's final. I can't say it's too late to make a comeback um, because the Lord says, if my people would do these things and turn, and certainly the king was instrumental. But, but the more that the king turns the heart of the people. And the king is like a Job. I mean, you start seeing Job. I'm always into these echoes. You see Job in sackcloth and ashes in the human king, in the in the, the humanity of the king. And I see sometimes, I, I reiterate this, so much enviable love and care and concern in the world. And I'm not for bashing the church. The church is, you know, mother church. I love the church. But I want us to excel and exceed the world in our kindness. I think we do in most cases. I really do. I don't think that's a condemnation. But how much more, uh, to use New Testament language, should we do than the world does? How much more kindness should we show than the average neighbor or the nonprofit down the street that deals its bread to the hungry? Um, and so that there is that continuous indictment on those of us who feel we have become uh, the children of Abraham in the New Testament. So the king is wonderful. Um, God saw, here's God's actions. He hurled, he sees, he appoints, he sends. He saw their actions and they, as they turned from their evil. Uh, and this was just absolutely wonderful. How many times do I not, am I not even aware that I was headed for total destruction, but the mercy of God, that God turned his wrath. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes we say, you know what? I I, uh, I see him, I got over it, but I'm not going to forget it. I know we don't want to go there right now, but God in his bigness is able to turn around. Should I ever count anyone off? People that have hurt me, disappointed me, parents that didn't come through, children that went the wrong way. If God can turn, so can I. Yeah, help I me. love that. Lord, uh, help me come up uh, in my life. Yeah. Um, as you were speaking, it just made me think about, you know, cancel culture and how, you know, if, if somebody just does one or two things, two or, you know, one or two things wrong, like we um, immediately cancel them. <laughs> um, but like God never cancels us. Like He never. Well, who knows? Well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> we can't live as though He never will. But we right, don't right, know. Right, we right, don't right. know when He might. We don't know right. where that line is because He says He does. He says, "My Spirit will not always strive with man." But we don't know where His putting up stops. Yeah. I guess what I'm just thinking about in Christ, like he he demonstrates this openness that he has to humanity, you know, that that in Christ, like he he doesn't subscribe to cancel culture. Right. Like it's not like his his lead foot. His lead foot is always to be slow to anger. 
right? Um, to be full of compassion, to uh, relent with sinners, to, uh, I love the way that um, Psalms 103 puts it in other places of the scripture. Like he, he won't, he won't, uh, he doesn't always hold against us um, our sins, you know? Um, and, and so you're right in chapter four, that same litany you're giving us is mm -hmm. those are the words out of Jonah's mouth. We might yeah. as well go there. We might as well go there. We might as well go there. Cause you were talking about how, you know, Jonah doesn't have congruency with like, you know, uh, the, the message that he's been, he's been given, uh, to say, but then he also doesn't have congruency with like identifying like himself with the people of, of Nineveh as someone who also, you know, needs, um, the Lord's, um, uh, salvation. And so in chapter four, it says Jonah was greatly displeased. <laughs> like, he was greatly displeased and became furious. My God. Nerve. Nerve. <laughs> I wrote all in the margins of my Bible. Nerve. You got your nerves. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this really don't, this really doesn't have a whole lot to do with Jonah. You know, this is, this is kind of like the, uh, the, the parable of the, 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 the lost son and the older son, right? You know, the the lost son comes home and the older son is is in the in the in the back room. Like, why would you have a banquet for this man? You know, do you remember what he did? And you know, I've been here this whole time and you haven't, you know, honored me in the same way. And so here it is, Jonah uh, becomes greatly displeased and furious, and then he says, "Lord, uh, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought?" while I was still in my own country. So he takes us back to verse one of chapter one. Um, and he says that that's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and the one who relents uh, from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life. Here goes that suicidal ideation again. Like, I just ran out. Elijah or Elisha? <laughs> under the, under the uh, boom tree wishing to die you know yeah. it didn't work out God. i'm through yeah so it is better uh for me to die than to live he rather he rather live in a world where god has uh punished and destroyed nineveh than to live in a world where god has been gracious and compassionate to nineveh he he just he he's like if i can't live in that world then just take my life that's that's crazy. And then I love how the Lord moves towards Jonah. And this is what I was talking about last time that this wasn't just about the Ninevites. This was about Jonah, you know, as well. And the Lord trying to get his prophets heart right. He says, is it right for you to be angry? Like, is it is it is this justifiable <laughs> for you? Uh, and Jonah doesn't answer his question, doesn't seem to entertain the question. And he just left the city pouting found a place to go sit in the shade. And here, here again go, goes the Lord's grace. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade over his head to rescue him from his trouble. Now, and then it says Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. So he goes from being greatly displeased to being greatly pleased uh, with the plant. And then the next day, the Lord appointed a worm to attack uh, the plant and it withers. And uh, then he and the Lord have another back and forth uh, where, 
you know, uh, Jonah, you know, uh, curses the tree and says, you know, it is better for me to die than to live. Um, and then the Lord once again asks him, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Now Jonah answered his question. He didn't answer it before, but now he answers it and says, yes, it is right. I am angry enough to die. And so the Lord said to him, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But you, but may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which is more than 120,000 people created in my image who cannot distinguish between their left and their right, as well as many animals. There is so much. Oh my gosh. There, there's so much in there. I couldn't even put down the notes of what I wanted to say. Um, <laughs> the, the, the Lord has said or through this passage that Nineveh is a great city. Mm -hmm. Repeatedly, so I'm not just sending you to Podunk, whatever, back in the woods. They're great people. Not mm -hmm. in your estimation, but and we know the reputation of Nineveh. Uh, so and he and he says there there's there's sin. Just like the uh, with Cornelius, the the cry, the arms of the people had gone. His good deeds went up before the Lord. The Lord loved and cared so much about them till their sins had come up before them. Jonah knows the kind of God he serves. So I keep hearing these other passages. I hear the 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 parable of the talents, where the one man you know did not really invest his. And he says, "Well, I knew you were a hard master, and so I just helped on to this little." one little talent. So when you came back, I could give this to you rather than investing and using the opportunities that existed. And uh, Jonah is saying, I knew you were a kind man. Um, and so that's why I didn't want to do it. it. makes no sense. I knew you were kind. So that's why I didn't want to be kind because I knew you were kind. So I knew I could be disobedient and you'd be kind to me for being disobedient. So he's, <laughs> he's counting on God's kindness for himself and not for the other. Um, the nature in this, uh, as one who I, I often fail to appreciate, I'm not a lover of the animal kingdom. I just, if it's got more legs than me, leave it alone. Uh, even those that are domesticated pets, I have to struggle to receive birds, cats, dogs, whatever. I will have to work on that because I do believe it's the will of the Lord that we stay in tune, not just with the heavens declared a glory, looking at the stars and the sky, but that the animal kingdom, because they were included in the fast, as you say. And then this, this book ends with a recognition of animals. That's the last word in the text, all of God's creation, all of God's uh, nature. He, he appoints a plant as nature. He sends a worm. How a little worm can eat the whole plant? I don't know, but we said we'll take it. Um, little things that God uses to shade us He's just, he's just rescuing Jonah from the heat of the day, not even from sin, just making it comfortable for him. And his privilege again, he resents having his privilege removed by a worm. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, did we ever say that the, we said the people repented and we, yeah, we did. And we said that God spared them and saved them. So here he wants his comfort. He, he feels a sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. And the Lord said, you you're not entitled. I gave you the shade and mm -hmm. I sent the worm and I ended it. And he was under the heat of the day and he became faint. Uh, and he is, his arrogance is um, just beyond belief. 
-hmm. for God to say, is it right? And him to say, yeah, it's right. You know, uh, what I saw in this, because I have, he's a drama. I don't want to say drama queen. That might mean more than what I want to say. But what I used to call my day a drama queen. This man is dramatic. He's just full of drama. <laughs> I, saw, I saw babies at the border in cages. I saw mm -hmm. in my mind children that uh, there seems to be a reluctance to reunite with their families. I saw hatred of people, uh, uh, for people coming into a country when they're very ancestors, not, not even ancestors, foreparents, a generation or two came in from somewhere. I, I saw people having first generation uh, children graduate from college, but not wanting others to come out without excessive debt where they mm -hmm. can't get started in life. I just, as you as you were taking us through that first half of Jonah, I'm not sure why that came up. I guess it was more in that question of, do you have a right to be angry? I hear more is, do you have a right to deny others? And I have given you so much. Do, do you dare to separate families where you having your family is so important? Do you dare to deny clean water in Detroit where you, you only use bottled water? Um, it, it's this contrast of the, the wealth that's concentrated in the 1% and mm. assuming that we ought to be in there and all others are not. It, it was a lot to me. Um, when the Lord said, you're troubled about the plant that you did not labor and grow for, we don't deserve anything. We, we, don't, we haven't worked for what we have, we don't deserve, even if we worked. Whatever we did, we have better than our labor amounts to. I heard the the uh, in this text, I heard the workers in the vineyard, the ones that came at the eleventh hour, uh, and the early workers getting upset about them getting a, a decent day's wages. I heard fifteen dollars an hour uh, and fighting over wages right now, and a, a relief bill, and should we raise the minimum wage? I, I just heard all kind of things in here. I heard the the uh, sanitation workers of Tennessee when Martin Luther King went down there and they were making less than $2 an hour and the, the vermin from the cans, the garbage cans they had to put on their back was seeping into their skin and the stench of the rubbish uh, and folks still didn't want to give them after Martin Luther King was assassinated, didn't want to give them equivalent wages or proper equipment. And two workers had died being crushed mm -hmm. by their trucks, uh, uh, just all kind of inequities. Not only, it's easy for me to sit here and point around the world, but in my life, mm. what, what are the things that, you know, I, I, how many recently, how many displaced children have I made room for? I've done mm. some in the past, but at this age, am I still doing legacy ministries or am I just doing platform ministries? Am mm. I still on the street corner? When I started out ministry, I stand on the corner. I didn't care if I looked like a fool because people weren't going to let a woman in their pulpit. So I stood on the corner, East 14th Street and Broadway in Oakland, California, and hollered out the word and rode the bus and preached to people with a mm. PhD. That's the only platform I could find. But wow. now you tell me to stand on the corner and holler. I go, I need a mic and a makeup artist. <laughs> got a whole lot of needs. I, you know, at this age, it's like, y'all done got me accustomed to some comfort. Somebody mm -hmm. carry my Bible and take me. I'm joking about that. But 
But we get in these places. Oh, so I don't want to just look at Joan. I want to look at me and yeah. say, how comfortable am I? I mm. have a bed in my house. We have a bed we sleep in, but we got a bed nobody sleeps in. Now, am I going to go out there and bring somebody home to sleep? Not necessarily. But I need to be thinking in, in ways. Am I providing shelter? I mean, I know there's safety issues and all that. So I'm going way off the subject. But the scripture is a right now word. It is a current, contemporary. It speaks our, our political, our economic, uh, our social, our mental issues. It speaks to all of this. God is so pervasive and his provision for us and his theme. Uh, maybe somebody read this and start recycling their plastics because they'll understand God is concerned about nature and he wants to appoint nature, not always against us, but for us. So we don't have double hurricanes like we did this year and below freezing in Texas and too many fires that we can't stop on the West Coast. And, you know, things are out of order. Does Antarctic or Arctic, vortex, I'm going to call it wrong, whatever that polar mass is that broke through to allegedly to bring freezing coal out of season. Mm-hmm. Um, that's concerned. And I want to be in sync with God and his nature yeah. and his plan for the world. Yeah. Well, let's make in, Miss Yanni. <laughs> no, this is, man, I was thinking about how you were describing Jonah and like his entitlement and um, I was like, you know, you know, to be entitled is to be detached from reality um, because everything that we have is the result of God's grace. Yeah. You know, um, like everything. There's no, there's nothing that we've we've done to uh, to like deserve what we have, particularly salvation. You know, that yes. that's. That yes. is like God's grace. And so yes. to to think that we're entitled to certain things because we're Christians or certain comforts because we're Christians or because we are part of some sort of social economic class or because we went to school, you know, or whatever is is to be utterly detached from from reality that we live in a world that uh, that is controlled by God. And that whatever, you know, like like Job said, he is the guy who gives and takes away. And if he's given anything to us, um, we should rejoice and be thankful. And when he takes those things away or when he doesn't give us the things that we want, uh, that we we should still give thanks. <laughs> right. Um, because yes. we trust that he is um, the all wise guy. And then you talked about the, the workers in the vineyard, you know, and how. You know, the people who started working at eight o'clock a.m. and then the group that came in at 6 p.m. and how they all got the same wages. I think what was interesting to me is that they still got what they agreed to get. And then two, the 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 master of the vineyard, he can do whatever he wants to do with his oh, money. Yeah. <laughs> it's his money. <laughs> you don't yeah. get to, you know, uh tell him what to do with his money. And I think um, that's sometimes how I am with God's grace. I, I try to tell God what he can and cannot do with his grace. Um, and it's not my grace. It's not my grace. You know, um, it's not my right to be able to, to, to say those things. And I think that's what, what John is trying to do. He's trying to tell God how to spend his grace. Um, mm-hmm. and no, go for it. 
I, I see that happening generationally mm. where maybe my generation would feel smug as other generations before me did. Uh, it's like, doesn't matter what shift you got on the vineyard, what shift you're working, graveyard shift, early morning, doesn't matter what boat you got to these United States or whatever continent on the slave boat, the immigrant boat, the, the prisoner boat out of Europe, sending you off to exile in the United States, doesn't matter what boat, um, that we must be careful that our ship, our shift, our boat, our generation is not smug about how others come to the Lord. Uh, I remember that happening perhaps uh, years ago uh, when, when hip hop first came and spoken word, that was not church the way we thought church would be. And when they put smoke machines in and the lights went out and it looked more like the nightclub it was like, is this necessary? And, and, you know, a lot of the trappings and the, uh, and I don't know what else to call them, but that fell away, but the word was still there. There's all kinds of ways to be, to, to be smug and to think. Uh, what, what, the other thing I heard, I never finished sentences, so I hope you can finish them. Um, I'm always chasing my thoughts. When I was growing up, old folks used to say, tell me if you heard this, God don't like ugly. Oh, yeah. You know, they still mm -hmm. say, God don't like ugly. Ugly, whether it's Jonah ugly or Nineveh ugly, ugly is ugly. And they used to scare us with that. God don't like ugly. I mean, they had little <laughs> phrases for everything. And uh, I heard that coming up out of the scripture. I don't like ugly, Jonah. Uh, and your ugly is still ugly. It's not, you know, it's your brand, but it's still ugly. It's like, I don't like spam. I don't care who the brand maker is. I don't want to eat spam. It's just spam. There's some things I don't like. Um, so, uh, and I want to say one other thing going back further. My son uh, said to me when we were going through the, the real true Ferguson era, when it was George Ferguson's death was raw. Uh, and unfortunately, I'm not sure it has stayed raw. Uh, and the talk was such in such a height about white privilege. He, he sent me a text or something. He said, you know, we talk about white privilege as though it is a thing, as though it exists like a car, like a house. People say, I have my privilege. Don't mess with my dog in the park. Don't sit here and watch birds because my privilege, you know, we, we talk about it like it is something delivered to us, like it came mm -hmm. through Amazon. It is a package <laughs> as opposed to being a construct that mm -hmm. has no reality and how we take things from construct, uh, a, a conceptual thing, because we're struggling to find a way to describe it and we didn't know what to call it. So we just called it white privilege. And then all of a sudden people said, I say, I have it. I don't have it. I need it. Give it to me. And it is not a it. It's kind of like race. It was a construct. Mm -hmm. um, and we get stuck in these, but it's not new. I mean, the world apparently throughout the Bible has been, we're back to those isms. Uh, mm -hmm. again, it's denominational schisms and separations, whether it is uh, styles, people mm -hmm. don't you know, when I grew up, you don't want to hear about when I grew up, start those stories. But, you know, when I went to the pulpit, I had to pull these little things off. And, and I was in one preacher's pulpit and uh, he asked me, are you going to wear that watch into the pulpit? And I thought, well, if it's a problem, I'll take it off. You know, I think the message is more important to me proving you my watch is okay. And then he asked me, are you going to wear that, your 
I got married early in college. Are you going? I must have been still in my early 30s or 20. You going to wear that ring in the pulpit? And I thought, he's going a little far. I got it. And I don't even remember whether I said yes or no. But I never forgot that I was asked. And then all these things got tied up with whether or not you are a fit vessel to bring the word. If you have a wedding ring on, it wasn't like I had a ring on every finger and gold teeth in my mouth. If I did, I did, but I didn't. Um, And we scale it down so minuscule when we are looking through a magnifying glass at other people. But I got to turn it around and say, God don't like ugly and Cynthia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's real. I don't know what it is. I mean, I know it's just the the sinful condition um, in us that that causes us to want to always create some sort of hierarchy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's what we see here in the Book of Jonah that he in his worldview in his worldview there was a hierarchy, and uh, Israelites were you know higher than Ninevites <laughs> and more deserving of Ninevites, and we see where his worldview led him. Versus seeing everybody on the same playing field as people who are, you know, created in the image of God and that by God's grace, he was a part of the people of Israel, right? Part of the people's promise who had received God's word, that that was a privilege and a grace given to him so that he could be a blessing to others. That that was God's original plan, right? Um, but instead, he he took that as, no, like, this is mine, you know, um, you don't deserve this and this is mine. and I think really what this book leads us to do is to look at the places in our lives where we we have some entitlement um, in our hearts um, and to call us back to reality that salvation belongs to the Lord um, and that we are all broken uh, people in need of a savior. Um, and I think that kind of worldview helps us to handle conflict better, helps us to share the gospel with others, helps us to uh, be be. Uh, faithful Christians who who love others more, you know, like love others as we love ourselves as the mm-hmm. way that the Bible has, has called us to do. And so um, I know that we're going to uh, have a, another conversation where we look at these figures that we've been talking about so far, where we look at uh, Vashti and we look at uh, Esther and Jonah and we see kind of what do they have to say to us, particularly Black Christians living in the 21st century. Because um, I know for both of us, uh, Dr. Cynthia, like it's, it's we want people to see that these stories are still living and active and that they still have something uh, to say to us. And so I hope you all will join us uh, for that next conversation. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Humble Hermeneutic, a Jew 3 Project podcast with Dr. Cynthia James and Yana Connor. Remember to rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And also remember that you can become a monthly partner or a one-time giver of the Jew 3 Project at Jew3Project.org. Every gift helps equip and helps us produce more content like this. In addition, if you would like to get merch, take an online course, or get our curriculum, you can do so at Jew3Project.org. Remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. God bless.